You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Father, in this morning hour, we ask that in your kindness and your mercy, you would stoop low uh, by the power of your Spirit and make uh, this moment an encounter with the very living God, with you, O Lord. And may we see you, Jesus, in all your glory and your beauty, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. This is kind of intimate, isn't it? Uh, Right before I came up, one of my sons asked me, is this going to be a long one or a short one? Um, (laughs) And I told him probably somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Uh, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, the book of Ephesians is without doubt one of my favorite epistles. It's weighty. It covers the whole of the Christian faith in the church. I mean, just listen to the scope of Ephesians here in the first Uh, chapter. I want to read these verses to you because I think they're important to lay out the scope of this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He lavished upon us all these things in wisdom and insight, making us to know the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I mean, it's breathtaking, really, when you think about it. God the Father has made us sons and daughters by the blood of Jesus. And just in case you want to go myopic on this, or overly private on the matter, Paul concludes by saying, and this isn't just about you, this is about God uniting all things in heaven and earth in Him. Again and again, Paul presses us to see the cosmic mystery we are a part of. And if that sounds like crazyville to you this morning, because we're talking about cosmic mysteries... Now then hold on to your hat, because we're about to talk about the devil. Uh, C.S., I brought C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters with me this morning. I'll, I'll read to you from some of it at a, one point in the, uh, in the sermon. But here you have uh, a, a, an uncle demon who's writing to his protege, which is a nephew. It's uncle, it's uncle Screwtape who's writing to his nephew, Wormwood. And in the preface to the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis says, I can't tell you how I stumbled across these letters, but I want to I warn you about two errors when it comes to demons and the devil. One of them is to disbelieve. And the other error is to have an excessive interest in them as well. I'll have to admit to you all this morning that um, I'm somewhat familiar with the Bible. You know, I teach this thing for a living. It's how I pay the mortgage. Um, But that familiarity can really be a liability. Because if I'm honest with myself, the world that Paul is describing in Ephesians seems really foreign to my own. And this isn't, by the way, a kind of first century thing versus our 21st century world. This isn't a matter of of swords, shields, and chariots versus uh, oil changes in central air. You know, Paul lived 
in the very reality of the cosmic mysteries of Jesus Christ. The present struggles that he faced in his here and now, those struggles were struggles with the spiritual forces of the evil one, the devil, and all of his spiritual forces. So I imagine that Paul's writing here in Ephesians, for you and for me this morning, was in part motivated by a pastoral reality. Our tendency, my tendency, is not to be reflective. We tend not to lift our noses from the grindstone of our daily existence and routine, what C.S. Lewis will call real life. And we need an apostolic reminding this morning. We need a biblical megaphone to rouse us from our slumbers, to rouse me from my slumbers. And so here comes the Apostle Paul right into our midst this morning with the very word of God on his lips to tell us how things really are because we all know that appearances can be so deceiving. Finally, Paul says, think of this in Ephesians 6 verse 10 as Paul's before I let you go statement. This has been a kind of longish letter, lots of details and instructions about Christ and the church and his mysteries, but before I let you go, let me remind you of one very, very important thing. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I don't want to bore you here with grammatical details. I could lose you right now. But this imperative, this be strong in the Lord, is actually a, no, this is, I shouldn't, it's a passive verb. It's be strengthened in the Lord. And this grammatical detail is really important. It's a game changer with this text. Be strengthened by the Lord. It's not a call to self-actualization. It's not a call to find the true you and, and be that. It's not a challenge to identify the divine light that resides in each of our persons. This is a call to look outside of ourselves for strength. This is a challenge. It's completely at odds with the prevailing cultural trends that are all around us to be strengthened by something outside of ourselves and to place ourselves in a position of of passive receptivity, be strengthened in the Lord. Years ago, a friend of ours, I think this was actually probably over 15 years ago now, a friend of ours was seriously injured in an ATV accident in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, Her life was hanging in the balance. She had kind of gone off a precipice on a cliff, some 30-foot drop. It was very bad. Um, She had intense swelling on the brain, and there we were in Greenville Memorial Hospital, knowing that our friend's life was hanging in the balance. And, and here we are in the, in the waiting room, and the surgeon, the neurosurgeon, I mean, it was like a scene from some, you know, 8 p.m. NBC drama, you know, that you see on Thursday nights. Here comes the surgeon in with two rather attractive nurses on each side of him. It's like the thing was staged. He, he comes sort of bounding in, and he looks at the mom, and he looks at the dad and he says, I'm going to go in, we're going to um, do an incision in, her, in, in the head, we're going to put in some needles in to relieve the pressure. And he goes through all the details about brain surgery that he's about to do. And the mother looked at the neurosurgeon, I'll never forget this, the mother looked at him and, and, he, and she said, I want you to know that we're going to be praying for your hands. And he looked her right in the eye and he said, I can do it. And then he turned around and walked away. Paul would say, that's not quite what we're after here. (laughs) If we're in a conflict with the evil one, 
and his spiritual forces that are at work in this world, then the stakes and the powers are too great for any Christian to say, I can do it. Paul encourages the exact opposite response. I can't do this. If I'm to enter into this fray, then I must be strengthened by the Lord himself. And you'll notice that in this really famous text in Ephesians 6, that all of these imperatives here, all of this call to action has a kind of passive sense to it. Be strengthened in the Lord, and then put on God's armor. We're called to put on, but the putting on itself is a kind of receptive thing, because it's God's armor, it's not, it's not our own. This is not the establishment of our true selves, but the shaping of our identity in Jesus Christ. And I think this is where the Bible gets really fun. Maybe fun's not the right word, but exciting. Paul's not fashioning all this armor imagery from his own imagination. Paul is brokering the Old Testament for these Christians here in Ephesians. The armor of God is exactly that. It's God's armor. It's the armor that God in the Old Testament put on when he went to battle for his people. The Old Testament presents the Lord as a great warrior fighting on behalf of his people. One of my favorite lines in the Old Testament is when the people of Israel are right up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is behind them. And then God tells Moses, tell the people to step to the side and watch because I'm going to fight for them. So time won't allow a sort of detailed study of this, but just listen to some of these Old Testament texts from Isaiah. He, that is the Lord, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah 49.2, He, that is Christ, uh, God's servant, uh, made my mouth like a sharp sword. And the list could go on from Isaiah. You see, our, our ability to stand against the schemes and the wiles of the devil, our invitation into this grand cosmic wrestling match with the devil and his forces is only made possible by entering into battle with the weapons that are not our own. Weapons that have been received by grace through faith. Can I just read them to you in a kind of litany fashion? We put on the belt of truth, knowing that truth is a person. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, God's saving action on our behalf. We put on shoes that have been made fast by the power of the gospel. We take the shield of faith, of vigorous clinging to the saving promises of God. We put on the, the helmet of salvation, God's final saving power on our behalf, and we take the sword of the Spirit, which is God's very word. And then you'll see how Paul ends, and we pray. We pray, and we pray. Prayer itself is the very act of receptivity the very act of relinquishing all a self-reliance. When we pray, we are in a position of dependence on God and God alone. You see, the Bible uses all kinds of metaphors to describe our Christian existence. Um, metaphors of the romancer, the love and the loved. Metaphors of agricultural, agriculture tending to vines. Metaphors of building. Metaphors of race running. And all are important and all say something to us about the nature of being God's people. But Ephesians 6 describes our Christian lives in the here and the now as a battle. 
Christ has conquered the powers and evil forces of this world, so we are not paralyzed by fear. Yet the fruits of Christ's victory are not fully realized yet, and we live in this tension, knowing, Paul tells us, that evil days will come. The days when the forces of darkness take aim at at you, or your children, or your spouse, or your co-worker, or this church, or some political entity, when the forces of darkness take their aim on that evil day, Paul knows that day will come, and the battle is on. Whether it's from the, what appears to be the pettiest of temptations, to the very fabric of the church's being or our being, And Paul, in Ephesians 6, is gathering us together and he's saying, before you go, I need to give you a war room briefing. Before you go, I want you to know that the stakes are very high and the enemy is very real. Both God and the devil want the same thing from you. They both want your faith. And how can I stand? And Paul tells us, take on the armor that Christ has already used to defeat the evil one. Take the truth and and lean hard into it, even when your experience is telling you something other than the truth. Take his righteousness and salvation, knowing that the battle is is won. Run fast in the truth and the hope of the gospel. Throw yourself under the gracious authority of God's word, the sword of the Spirit, and finally, pray, 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 as if your life depended on it. I wanted to read to you this one part from Lewis's Screwtape Letters, where Uncle Wormwood is chastising, I mean, uh, um, Uncle Screwtape is chastising Wormwood. I stumbled across this over the weekend. It's pretty, pretty profound. This is what he says. My dear Wormwood, so this is the devil writing to another devil. Kind of gives you what's going on here. Uh, the enemy, by the way, that uh, Screwtape will talk about is Christ. So he's the enemy. This is what he says. The most alarming thing in your last account of the patient, that's what, that's what they call the, um, the man that Wormwood is working on to undercut his faith. The, the most alarming thing in your last account of the patient is that he is making none of those confident resolutions which marked his original conversion. No more lavish promises of perpetual virtue. Not even the expectation of an endowment of grace for the rest of his life, but only a hope for the daily and hourly pittance to meet the daily and the hourly temptation. This is very bad. I see only one thing to do at the moment. Your patient has become humble. (laughs) Before I let you go, Paul says, I want you to know that you have the resources of heaven itself when you step onto the battlefield of life. Because the battlefield of life involves so much more than you can see with your eyes. These days are marked by encounters with the evil one. But we are, and we are at war with him. But he's been slain. He's just taking a very long time to die. So be strengthened in the Lord and put on his armor. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.